So good again to uh, be with you. I'm going to grab my podium briefly. As you grab your Bibles, you can turn to Amos chapter 5. If you have not already turned there, um, we are in a study in the book of Amos. And in, again, as a word of welcome, if this is your first time gathering with us, you might want to uh, pick up on sort of the previous uh, 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 sermons and messages in this uh, series uh, from the book of Amos. That might be helpful, um, but uh, uh, you can uh, catch up uh, at whatever time via our podcast. You can do that um, online uh, through our website, citychurchmelissa.com. So if you found us here online, uh, you can probably find our messages and um, go back and uh, catch up with us in our study uh, in the book of Amos. Um, Amos has been delivering messages to Israel primarily. He came from Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah, and has been delivering messages to Israel, this northern kingdom, and essentially calling Israel out for their sins and uh, offering a rebuke. And in uh, the first few messages uh, from Amos, these really, as we are in chapter 5, and so that might sound again, uh, chapters were introduced, verses were introduced later. They weren't in the original uh, text. Um, and, and so when we see Amos chapter 5, we might think, okay, that's five different messages. And we've had a few uh, sermons. But in a sense, there's been two um, in a, uh, uh, um, speeches or, or, or uh, um, uh, times where Amos has been teaching and calling out uh, Israel. And so in the first two messages of Amos that are contained in the first four chapters, God was making it clear that he doesn't just see the sins of his people, but that those sins will be judged. There will be judgment for sin. And through Amos, God was letting his people know that all of the ways that, and, and, that they had forsaken his word and all the ways that they had sinned against his plans and forgotten the holiness that he had called them uh, to live with. And so God had made it very clear that he would judge sin. And he doesn't, though, however, just revel in this judgment Judgment of God, although some would uh, articulate it in this way, that's not the end purposes of God. God doesn't, uh, he doesn't speak this judgment against Israel as that's what he intends to do and that's where he just sort of wants to end things. Sometimes in our life, I know this is how I often react when somebody sins against me, when there's something that happens in my life, something challenging, I want to deal with that and I just want to, essentially, I want to judge that. I want to, uh, I want to get vengeance. I want to hold somebody accountable. And my end is simply, in a sense, just to sort of put myself back where I think I belong. I want to get it my way. I want things to be corrected to be my end. But that's not God's way. God's, as we heard from Isaiah, his ways are higher than our ways. And his end is not just judgment, but the judgment of sin was his merciful act. And it's intended to lead us and to lead Amos's purpose was to lead the people of Israel to repent and to ultimately to be restored. And in a long history, over a long period of time, ultimately God would restore his people. And he would bring repentance and restoration. And God does all of this so that he would be glorified. He will be glorified by people who in humility acknowledge their need and cry out to him in worship and in praise for his mercy and his grace. Or 
he will be glorified as those who reject him acknowledge their sins finally once and for all. Either way, God will be glorified. And so God's glory is what is at stake. And that's why he sends Amos to call out the sins of Israel, to declare judgment against sin so that he might be glorified in one way or another. And so for us as Christians, as we look backwards towards the cross and we look at Amos and we see how God was dealing with his people in that time, it is right that we take this same step of acknowledging sin. See, this message from Amos that we're going to see in chapter 5 and 6 is a message of lament. It's a message of heartbreak. And so it's right that we should also lament And the first step to dealing with sin, and ultimately which leads to restoration, is lament. And lament is something, in fact, that word sounds probably pretty foreign to you. We don't use that word in our common day language very often. But this is the step that is often, because we don't use that word, that should give us a clue to the idea that we often are missing this step. We want, ultimately, again, if we think about our own lives, if there is a challenge, if there is brokenness, if there's something wrong in our life, we want that to be fixed. We want that to be corrected. When something breaks, what do we do? We go get the superglue, and we decide, hey, I'm going to figure out how to put that back. And then we're always frustrated because the superglue expands, and it doesn't work right. It kind of looks a little, you know, weird. I don't know if that happens to anybody else, but that's my problem. I can't ever get the superglue to work right. But we want restoration. We want what was broken to be fixed, And we want that spiritually, I think, so often, even if we might deny that or we don't really understand all that is involved in our heart of hearts, what what we're really after is we're trying to get this correction in our lives. And the reason that we often miss this, this restoration is because we don't realize that we have to acknowledge sin. We need to lament that sin. We need to grieve that sin. And then we can be restored For us, we often would just rather nullify, justify. When we sin, well, this is why I sinned. Do you know what they did to me? Do you know what they said? Do you know how that situation was handled? This is the reason that I am doing what I am doing. But we would be wise if we would listen to the words of Amos and lament the sin and grieve our sins because that grief over sin is what leads to true repentance. God did promise judgment of sin, and that judgment for Israel would come in the form of the Assyrians who would take them into captivity. God always judges sins. It is part of who he is. It is his nature that he is just, and we should be grateful for that, that he is a just God. I don't know any of us who would like to worship at the feet of a God who was unjust, who dealt with uh, people unfairly. We look at our earthly judges and we think to ourselves, well, that didn't seem to be fair. I don't like the way they dealt with that. Imagine that would be God. No, we want a God who is just. And because of his nature, and it is in his nature to be just, he always judges sins. But again, for those of us who look backwards to the cross, we see God's judgment levied against our Savior for our sins. Because of who, what he has done, we have been redeemed. We can have hope because we have received grace where we know we should have received condemnation. And so as we look at Amos chapters 5 and 6 over the next couple of weeks, we see Amos lamenting over the sins of God's people. And he's using the language of a funeral. 
But it wasn't his family. No one in his family had died. This was the people who he was speaking to probably looked at him a bit strangely because they're looking around in their world and they're saying, I don't see anything that is broken. Everything seems to be right. From a worldly eye, everything in Israel was going great. They were prospering. They were wealthy. They were seemingly doing all the right things according to the religious rule. Why would Amos be grieving over a nation that seemed to have everything sort of going for it, everything going in the right direction? And the problem was that all the wealth and the so-called religious activity, that was just window dressing. The nation was a nation whose body was riddled with a cancer, and they didn't even know it. Israel was a dead man walking. And so Amos is sent by God to acknowledge this, and he is lamenting, he is heartbroken over this reality. And so like Amos, I pray as we work our way through this text that we might remember, we might acknowledge, we might lament our own sin, and then be able to look backwards at the cross and see that sin as paid for by Jesus. And because of that, it might lead us to worship him more, and obedience and faithfulness might follow. So Amos begins in chapter 5 as he, uh, this new message to Israel, again this third message, and he's calling on Israel to seek the Lord. Hear this word that I take up over you in lamentation, O house of Israel. I speak this word to you in grief, Israel. I speak this word to you heartbroken over the condition that I see. Fallen no more to rise is the virgin Israel, forsaken on her land, with none to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, the city that went out a thousand shall have a hundred left, and that which went out a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. Amos begins by saying, hear this word, listen to the word of God. And he describes Israel as a young girl who has been killed on the battlefield and there is no one to raise her up. Imagine the grief in this, the the word picture of that. It's not just a soldier killed on the battlefield. That's terrible, but it's something that would be in some ways a common experience or common occurrence in battle. Here he's describing a young girl who has no place even being on the battlefield who has been slain and there's no one to raise her up. And he says, the city that went out a thousand shall have a hundred left, and that which went out a hundred shall have ten left. The desecration that he's speaking of over Israel is real. And Amos, as we said, these words that, that he is describing about Israel being desecrated, being killed, and having no one to come and help her is speaking about, the Israel, uh, speaking about Assyria, who would come. And there would be, some were killed, some were taken into exile. And in a very small amount, just a very few numbers, that maybe that 10 that he is speaking of or that description of a very small number that were left, the Gentiles were sent into their land to conquer it and to take over that land, and essentially they intermarried, and that's what created the Samaritan people. We read about the Samaritans so often in the New Testament, and they're used as a picture of God's unbelievable grace, but here is where the origins came. They began as God allowed the judgment of his people and then to be cast out. And so, he is calling on Israel to hear the Lord. Listen to what I say to you. Listen to what God is speaking to you. Some of us might think to ourselves as we've been listening to over and over again Israel's judgment and, and, and the, the, these, this, this uh, condemnation over God, of God over Israel. And we might say to ourselves, well, what about God's promises to Israel? Didn't he say to Abraham that your children would number in the 
the, the, you couldn't even count the stars. They would be like the stars in the sky. These promises of God have not been lost or forgotten. There would be a day of revival. But the first step to that revival, to that restoration, was to listen to God, to hear the rebuke, and to lament the sin, to repent of the sin, and then be made new. Again, Amos is calling on these people in a lament, pleading, hear from the Lord. Listen to what he has said. As we consider this in our own lives, God has spoken. Would we hear from God this morning as you listen to my voice? Don't just listen to my voice. Listen to these words. I love this quote. It's not original, but sometimes I I think about and we talk about conversations. I want to hear a word from the Lord. I wish I knew what God would say. What would God say? And one preacher once said, just open up your Bibles and read the Bible aloud and you will hear the voice of God. We have his word with us. Would we listen? Would we hear God? Will you listen to what he is saying to you through his word? In the last days, in our day, God has spoken in the same way Amos was sent to Israel to speak. God has spoken to us. But we have a promise in Hebrews that says that he has spoken to us through his son. Listen to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. The author of Hebrews is looking back, not just at Amos, but perhaps thinking of Amos. How often did God send the prophets to our people to tell us the truth, to rebuke us of sin, to call us to lament, to turn us away from our worldly ways and call us back to him? But in these last days, verse 2, it says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, the author of Hebrews, looking back at our Savior Jesus on the cross, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through him, he also created the world. He, verse 3, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. God spoke to Israel through the prophet Amos, and God has spoken to us through his son, through Jesus Would we hear what Jesus has had to say? And what has God said through Christ? If we just work our way through very quickly through this text in Hebrews, verse 1, it says that he spoke to us through, or excuse me, verse 2, it says that he's spoken to us by Christ and that Christ is the, the, the creator of all things. Everything is his, all creation. It says that he appointed the heir of all things, and through him he created the world. So we know as we listen to God through Christ that all of creation is his, that he made God visible. In verse 3 it begins, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. See, at one point in time, God was not visible. We couldn't see God, and yet God sent his son, Jesus the exact imprint of his nature, fully man but fully God, God incarnate. You could see him. He was made visible to the world, and he was the radiance of God's glory. Every bit of God's glory was encapsulated, was wrapped up in Jesus Christ, the man, the God-man. He continues, he says, that 
He upholds the universe by the word of his power. We can know that everything we see, everything in this world is upheld, is controlled by his power. We say this very often in our church. It's just one of those things that captures my heart and leads me to worship. But every morning when I walk outside, I look up in the sky and I see the sun. And it's there because God said it would be there. It's because Jesus is upholding it. And if for one moment Jesus took his hands off the controls of the universe, the universe would spin out of control. It would be complete disaster. Every molecule in this world, in this universe, would just explode into nothing. But because of Jesus, his holding power, his hands on the universe, everything is upheld and held together. And guess what that means? There's not one thing that's out of place. Yes, even in the midst of a global pandemic, there is not one thing that is out of place. In the midst of political upheaval, there is not one thing that is out of place. In the midst of so much injustice and pain and suffering and sickness and whatever it is that you might be dealing with, it is, there is not one thing that is out of place. God is sovereign over all these things. He's aware of all these things. And he is at work. He has not forgotten When it says that he upholds these things by his power, we can have confidence in what he is doing. Even when it is painful, even when it is hard, we can have confidence in who Jesus is. He is upholding the universe by the word of his power. He continues, even that being the case that the entire universe is held together by his hands, says after making purifications for sins in that little just short phrase, he encapsulates the gospel that Jesus being, how did he make purification for sins? He died. He laid down his life for sinful people on a cross, taking on the wrath of God to purify for himself a people of his own possession. And so he took on sin and he died. He took on the promised judgment. We are reading of judgment in Amos Jesus took on the judgment of God for the sins of the world. And he made those purifications for sins. But as he continues in verse 3, death could not hold him. He rose and ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he sat down. I love that text. The author of Hebrews speaks of it again later in this book when he says that there was a time when the priests would stand. They were walking about constantly having to make purifications for sins. But when Jesus made purifications for sin, when he laid down his life on the cross, then he took his life back up again and he ascended to the right hand of the Father. He sat down because the work was finished. There was nothing more to do. There was no more priestly sacrifices to be made. He sat down. And so we can know if we look backwards and we have faith in that finished work on on the cross, what Jesus did. If you're a believer, if you call yourself a Christian, what you're saying is you trust that when Jesus sat down, he didn't need to stand back up again. You trust that it is finished. You trust that your sins were fully paid for and that the death that he died was for you and that he rose again conquering that death because there was no more work to be done. So... God was speaking to the Israelites through Amos, and God now, the author of Hebrews says, has spoken to us by his son. Do you hear what God is saying? Do you hear that there are sins? Sins must be dealt with, but those sins were dealt with by Jesus Christ. And he sat down after dealing with the sins that you have committed. 
Is that, do you know that? I pray that we would all know that and that we could, when we see our sin and we, when it, it, it has made evidence before us, that we could lament over it, we could grieve over that sin, but then we could have hope because we look back and we see what Jesus has done. God is calling through Amos for his people to hear what he is saying. And through Christ, he's saying, do you hear what I'm saying? Do you believe? So Amos continues in verse 4, he says, after calling on the people to hear from this, the, the, the word of God that was taken up in lament, he says, seek me and live. Verse 5, seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel and do not enter into Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into exile and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it with none to quench it for Bethel. He says, first, that we should hear the word of God. We should hear from the Lord. And then second, he says that we should seek the Lord. He's calling on Israel to seek the Lord and live. If you want to live, if you want to be restored, if you want your sins to be dealt with and to be covered, to seek the Lord, that life comes from seeking the Lord. Once we have this proper perspective to see God, what God is saying to us, we must respond. So we hear the word of the Lord. We hear from him. And then what do we do? When we hear, if we're listening, and I believe that so many of our testimonies would just speak to this. We heard the word of God. It was preached to you. It was told to you by a friend. It was uh, through a Bible study, through your just own private sort of reading of his word. And you heard the word of God. And then as, as God's word took sort of hold of your heart, and he gave you the gift of faith, you began to seek him out, to follow him, and you found life in him. And so Amos, like, the, like in the same way that our stories would declare, Amos is calling on Israel to seek the Lord so that they might live. Why should they seek the Lord? Verse 4 says that they would live. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek me and live. Then he says in him, in verse 5, that we should seek him and live and to not cross over into all of these places of worship, but to seek the Lord and live so that we might find hope. In him we find all of the blessing and hope we need. There's no other true hope than hope that comes from God. See, Israel thought if they went to these places of worship, Bethel and Gilgal and Beersheba, if they did their religious duty, and these were, again, places of worship, so they would go to these places for worship, to enter into worship, sort of to do their religious uh, sort of activity. And if they did those things, they would have blessings. Does that sound like any of us sometimes? If I do this, if I show up to church and sort of do the right thing and follow God's word and, and, uh, in, in, in terms of following the law, that if I do all of that, then I'll surely have God's blessings, and God says, no, that's not. He says, seek me and live, but do not seek all of these places of worship. Do not go after that, because that's not how God works. See, we come together to seek the Lord together because God has built us for community. That's why we gather and worship. Gathering in worship is not just some rule that God decided to establish just so he could have us wake up early on Sunday mornings. No, he called us together to worship because he, know, he knows that he created us to do things in community, that we need one another. And so we do come together 
to seek the Lord together. But if we think that we're here, if we're just showing up as an act to earn God's blessings, then we will not receive that. We're doing it wrong. That's not what God is calling us to do. We come here to seek the Lord. We gather together to seek the Lord. We do not do that because we think that, that by, by coming together, by showing up in the right place, that God is going to bless us. That's not how he works. That's not what he does. And so Amos is calling on God's people to seek the Lord. And guess what? Seek the Lord and live, verse 6, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it with none to quench it for Bethel. He's telling them, in a sense, that judgment is coming. God will send fire. In chapters 1 and 2, Amos uses this illustration of fire over and over again that, that Israel, the, the, the people of God, would, would burn, their cities would burn. And here again in verse 6, he is saying, to seek the Lord and live lest he break out like a fire in the house of Joseph. You know, fear of judgment should be a motivator for us to seek the Lord. It shouldn't be the only motivator, but it does motivate us until we have this internal sort of maturity, this growth in our faith that leads to a desiring of obedience. And so if you don't seek the Lord simply because you're desiring to be obedient, if that's not where you're at, perhaps you should seek the Lord, hear his word, and seek him because you know that ultimately judgment is coming. Now you might think, that doesn't sound very gospel-y to fear judgment. You know, here, let me tell you a story about my life. I didn't do drugs in high school. That's not a pat on the back. I'm not bragging on myself in any way there because it was nothing to do with a holiness that I didn't do drugs. I didn't do drugs in high school because I had a tremendous fear of going to jail. I had watched some movie when I was a kid about a man that had gone to jail for doing drugs, and so I was scared straight. All throughout high school, there were opportunities put in front of me for drugs and other opportunities, and I did not do those. And again, it had nothing to do. I was not a Christian, but I did not want to go to jail. I was scared. And so I knew that if I did drugs, that that would end up in life in prison. That's how I equated things. I know that sounds silly to some of you, but that was my mindset. Obedience came later. Later in my life, I would find that I needed to be obedient to the word of God. But when I was young and immature, fear of judgment was enough. And so God might be saying, okay, you don't want to seek me and live. You don't want to follow my ways out of obedience. Just do it out of fear of judgment. Let, know that judgment of sin is coming and let that be an early motivator to lead you to follow his ways, to do what he has called you to do, to seek him and live. God desires that we would live. And so we should seek him so that we might live. We read from Isaiah 55 that we should seek the Lord, and that answers the question in a sense, well, how do we seek the Lord? So whether we're going to seek the Lord so that we would uh, sort of prevent judgment from coming in our lives, or if we should seek the Lord out of just pure obedience, what does that look like for us to seek the Lord? It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Call on God while he is near. 
You are with us this morning, whether here physically or online, you're worshiping with us. You're at least listening to these words. Perhaps your heart is not even tuned to worship right now. That's okay. God is near to you. He has provided a means. He has provided an opportunity. In his sovereignty, he has decided that you would be with us this morning in some form or fashion, that you would hear this word. And he is saying to you, I am near. Seek me right now. Listen to what I am saying to you. He's saying then, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Turn away from wickedness and unrighteousness. Turn away from the unholy things in your life. Turn away from the sinful things in your life. You and I, we all know those sinful things. You don't need me to tell you that. And I know that's true because I know that when I step into something sinful, when I begin to drift away from God's purposes and plans for my life and the things that he has called me to be, my spirit speaks up. It yells at me, danger. When we get close to a fire, we know that there is heat coming from it. We don't have to put our hand all the way in the fire to know that there's a problem there. And so whatever it is in your own life, however it is that you're seeing sinfulness, your flesh sort of come about and raging at war within you, Turn from those things, reject those things, and turn to the ways of the Lord. That's what he continues. Let him return to the Lord. And guess what? This beautiful promise. When we return to the Lord, it says that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Run to the Lord, not from the Lord. When your sin is brought before you, as Amos brought the sins of Israel before them, He was calling them to seek the Lord and live, to run to the Lord, not to run away from God. So often, that's what I see happening in our world. When something is going wrong in someone's life, and I've shared this so many times in this church specifically, I see people begin to distance themselves from the body of Christ, to run away from the Lord because there's something going on in their life, some sinful issue, and they don't want to deal with it, and they're fearful of what might come. And God's promise through the prophet Isaiah, God's promise through my words to you right now is that if you would run to the Lord, if you would run to his people, you will receive grace and mercy. You will receive pardon. You will receive love. I know that the world so often has brought condemnation for whatever those sins are in your life, but the people of God, the church of God, he himself will abundantly pardon is what his word says. If you would run to him. And why is that true? Because verse 8 and 9 are true. We quote verse 8 and 9 so often, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways or my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know when I think of that verse most often, I think of that verse most often when I'm thinking of sort of direction in my life, when I'm just trying to decide and make a decision if I'm going this way or that way, and then God sort of intervenes and does something, and I think, yep, your ways are higher than my ways, God. I never would have imagined that you would have done that or moved in that way. But do you know what? The prophet Isaiah, when he spoke those words, when, when God declared that truth, what he's talking about, he's saying that I will forgive sin that I will pardon abundantly because that's not the way that we deal with sin. Again, just imagine in your own lives, amongst your own family and friends, when sin comes up, if you're not a Christian especially, this is how you deal with things. You judge it, you condemn it, you run away, you just say, I don't I won't have anything to do with that. And sadly, there have been cases in life that I know 
where that's been what you have felt the church has done or in some way God has done, but that is not who God is. That is not what the church is called to do. Now, what God says when he says that he declares to us that his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts are higher than our, uh, than our thoughts are, he's saying that I don't deal with problems the way that you would deal with problems. Thanks be to God that is true. He deals with things in a much higher way because his plans and purposes are bigger than ours. And so he says, turn away from your sin. Seek the Lord and live. Turn away from unrighteousness and wickedness, unholiness, those things that would take you apart from me. Run to me and know that I don't deal with things in the same way that you would deal with them if you were coming to me. Because I'm God. I'm higher than that. And so let us seek the Lord and live. And the third thing that Amos says is he begins 7 through 15, a longer passage of text. He says, oh, you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to earth. He who made the Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into morning and darkens the day into night. Who calls the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. Who makes destruction flash forth against the strong, so that destruction comes upon the fortress. They hate him who reproves. Repro- I can't talk this morning. They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, and you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside from the needy in the gate, therefore he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious upon the remnant of Joseph. First, Amos calls on the people to hear from God. He then calls them to seek God, to seek him and live. And then in these last verses, verses 7 through 15, he summarizes them in verses 14 and 15 when he says, seek good and not evil that you might live. It might be sometimes hard, even though as we work just through what it means to seek the Lord and live, you might struggle with that first step of seeking the Lord and live. And so Amos, in a sense, gives us a little bit of a a pre-step, a halfway to get there. Just seek good. Do the good things in the world. Start there. And imagine if we start there, how that might lead to seeking the Lord. Amos is getting practical and just says, if you want to know how to seek the Lord in just really practical ways, seek good and not evil. In verses 7 through 13, he's described all of the ways, once again, that the people of God had been evil, had trampled upon the poor, had done things in an unjust way. That's why in verse 7 he describes Israel, had, had, he had turned, they had turned justice into wormwood. In the original language, wormwood, the, the, the word there is linked to the word for curse. And wormwood is also, you can even Google this, even today, wormwood is a bitter fruit. It's a, it's a leaf that has a bitterness, bitterness to it. And so Amos Knew God and through speaking through Amos is calling out all of the ways that they had sinned. 
They had oppressed the poor. They had trampled on their land. They had built their own mansions and done all of these things to show their prosperity and wealth. They'd seen so many things, that, that the blessings of God, and they had turned away from God, even though they had received that. And they had essentially had, had been tempted to believe that their wealth, their prosperity, and all of the things that they saw with their eyes were surely an affirmation of God's blessing. As we've talked about through this season, as we've opened up this book of Amos, we look around our world, and I know we're in a global pandemic, but before that time, everything was sunshine and roses, wasn't it? Everything in our nation seemed to be going great. We were wealthy. We were prospering. We were healthy by and large. Is God speaking to us? Is God saying something? Has he shaken some of the foundations and the hopes that we have put in this world? And perhaps he's calling us out, rebuking us for our sins and reminding us that we should seek him and live and that we should do justice and should do good in the world and to hope in him and him alone. Let's pray and ask God to help us to seek him, help us to hear from him and help us to be a people that would do what he has called us to do, to live with righteousness and holiness, hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. Let's pray. Holy Spirit of God, we need your help today and every day and every moment. I acknowledge that so often I drift away from who you've called me to be. So I pray that by the power of your spirit that we... T- would hear this morning from you. We would listen to your word. We would would listen to the word spoken to us through our Savior Jesus. A word that says that sin will be judged, but sin has once and for all been judged when he laid down his life on the cross for the sins of the world. And he took up his life again. And welcomed us into that life, that hope, that abundant life. I pray that anyone who does not have the hope of Jesus this morning would hear that word, perhaps just that word alone. That after dealing with sin, Lord Jesus, you rose up from the grave and you sat down at the right hand of the Father. Because it had been taken care of. You had paid the once and final penalty. So I pray that we would have hope because of that. And for those of us who call ourselves by your name, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to seek after you, to pursue the things that you would pursue, to see the world as you see it. Help us to seek to do good in this world. To not see injustice as something that we could just scoff at or turn away from. But you just break our hearts. Like Amos, would we first be brokenhearted over the sinfulness of our own hearts, the sinfulness that exists in our lives? Would you then restore us, allow us to run to you, bring healing and restoration? And let us go out into the world and live for you. Bring glory to your name. As we purposefully seek to do good in this world. 
And all these things, as we say, Holy Spirit, we need your help. So we ask for that now. Help us to be obedient. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you again for joining with us this morning. We're so thankful that you've been a part. Again, we'd love an opportunity to connect with you if we have not had a chance to do that previously. Uh, Please remember to send us that text message to 97000. And right before we end, I want to make you aware of an upcoming gathering that we are going to have in August. That is what is called our Leadership Summit. And our Leadership Summit, in a sense, is a place for us to begin to just sort of engage. I, I just talked about that sometimes when we are trying to understand how we seek the Lord and what that means to seek the Lord, uh, that it just begins with a practical step that we just sort of uh, need to start doing something. Well, in, in, the, in the life of, of the church, so often we have found that uh, one of the most practical things that you can do is just begin to serve somewhere, just to jump in with us and you'll find there's other people serving with you that you can engage in community with, you can build relationships with. And so um, our ministry teams at the beginning of every uh, sort of uh, calendar year, which the church operates a little bit like the school calendar. We, we begin in the fall. Um, and so in the fall of every year, our church hosts a leadership summit where our ministry teams gather, our ministry leaders gather uh, people together and just share uh, the opportunity and, and the vision for what God is doing here in City Church and invite you to be a part of that. And so uh, I just want to encourage you to be a part of that uh, upcoming. There should be a slide on the screen in front of me, uh, on your screen perhaps where you are, um, that gives you all of the details uh, about that, um, but join in on our leadership summit coming this August, and uh, whether you want to serve or if just, and again, by the way, if you show up, you're not committing to serve. You're just coming to gather information. So with our kids teams, um, our student ministry teams, our setup teams, men's and women's ministries, just those various areas of service um, within our church, we would love for you to be a part and to engage with us. So save that date um, and uh, make sure that you are a part of that. Um, Until then, we hope that we will be able to uh, see you again next week uh, as you gather with us, whether online or here in person. And uh, we pray that you have a very good week and we'll see you next Sunday. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sundays at 1030 a.m. at 2950 Cardinal Drive, and we'd love to meet you this coming week. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.